good morning. It's uh, March 21st, 2021. I guess we're on and on or about the uh, the solstice today, first day of spring, and it actually feels like it. I'm uh, not exactly sure what I want to use for the title of this talk, but <clears throat> let's start provisionally with just calling it Be Still. And I want to begin uh, by telling you a little story. I've told some people this story before. <clears throat> I hope it makes sense for you. So a man walks into a Starbucks. He goes up to the counter and gets a coffee and probably just a house blend and adds some, adds some cream and goes back and sits down. But <clears throat> he doesn't have a iPhone with him or a iPad or a laptop or a book. He's just sitting there like a psychopath. <clears throat> I wish I could be in the zendo with everybody so I could hear that fall flat. Um, but uh, there is what it points up, what the story points up, is just how... Um, neurotically attached we are to uh, restless activity, that we need to be doing something or we don't feel comfortable. And uh, that's, <clears throat> I remember when I gave up cigarette smoking many, many years ago, that was one of the big questions is what on earth do I do with my hands? Fortunately for me, I thought at the time I was still drinking, so I could have a beer. But uh, then later on, when I gave up drinking, <clears throat> I had to uh, face that again, and fortunately that worked out pretty well. I want <clears throat> to bring in a few big guns just to, to talk about this whole issue of finding our place in silence and stillness finding that as a as a refuge as a home where we're comfortable <clears throat> uh, despite the fact that there is this incessant uh, stream that we're habituated to uh, of activity of thoughts especially but thoughts and feelings and <clears throat> considerations and then all the distractions we use to pull ourselves out of negative moods and uh, feelings of boredom <clears throat> First guy I want to cite is uh, Blaise Pascal. He he lived in the uh, 17th century, died in 1662. Was a French mathematician and philosopher, and a Catholic theologian. He said something really simple. He said, "All of humanity's problems come from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone." <clears throat> and I want to follow that up with Franz Kafka. Uh, this this quote from Kafka, I think I read it recently at a session, 
and I heard it first from Roshi in Sashin, um, <clears throat> just blew me away uh, that this was Franz Kafka. He's the, if you don't know, he's the uh, uh, writer. Uh, he lived uh, late 1800s, died in 1924. He wrote uh, The Metamorphosis, uh, which is a story about a guy who wakes up and realizes that he's a cockroach. And uh, there's actually <clears throat> sort of a, a adjective for uh, the sorts of stories that he wrote. It's Kafkaesque, which you may have heard. He said, you do not need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Do not even listen. Simply wait, be quiet, still, and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. <clears throat> this is the promise of Zazen. This is, this is why it's so essential to find stillness in our sitting. This is the promise of going beyond thought. Okay, one more guy. <clears throat> um, Indian sage Ramana Maharshi died in 1950. He said, your duty is to be and not to be this or that. I am that I am sums up the whole truth. The method is summed up in the words be still. What does stillness mean? It means destroy yourself because any form or shape is the cause for trouble. Give up the notion that I am so-and-so. All that is required to realize the self, or we could say to realize the true self, is to be still. What can be easier than that? <clears throat> Might be more accurate to say what can be simpler than that. When, when Roshi uh, gives his talk in an introductory workshop, uh, inevitably... Uh, invariably, he brings up the image of a snow globe. You know, the the globes with, I think most people have been to workshops, so you've heard them do it, but, uh, you know, there may be uh, a Santa Claus in there or some other figure. He's got one was put together. It's actually got a Buddha sitting in the middle of it. And you shake it up, and uh, white flakes float about, representing the snow. And if you want to clear that water. If you want to see clearly into the globe, all you have to do is put it on a table and leave it alone. Just that image gives you a feeling for the spirit of Zazen. So, <clears throat> the wonderful thing about having the mind settle having the no longer being buffeted by thoughts that we willingly acquiesce to, having that clarity, 
ability to see clearly into the mind, see what's going on. <clears throat> I've had the same thing sort of happen when I've given introductory talks, gone out to colleges or high schools or whatever, and, uh, you know, you talk to people for maybe 20, 30 minutes about Zen, uh, about what we're trying to do, uh, about <clears throat> how our way of of living in an endless stream of unconscious thought brings us so much trouble, uh, the possibility of getting beyond that. And people usually can, can glom onto that and, and uh, are <clears throat> receptive. And then always, uh, always uh, want to have people actually do some sitting. And so it won't be, you know, I don't usually do a long time. I don't think Roshi does either when he does those sorts of talks. But, and, and the people may be just sitting in chairs, um, <clears throat> may or may not even be able even to sit up straight. But um, you just show them how to count their breath and maybe ring a bell. And all of a sudden, you're not talking anymore and the room falls silent. And uh, for the person talking, it's the most wonderful thing to f <clears throat> no longer have to listen to yourself. Um, <clears throat> but the whole room falls silent. Uh, and all of a sudden, you hear all the noises that were there before, but you didn't notice because the mind can only focus on so many things at once. You hear the hum of an air conditioner or a furnace traffic running outside, maybe geese flying overhead, birds chirping, settled into a different space. Sometimes when we're just starting out with Zen practice, because that shift is so striking, I think, and novel uh, for many people, uh, we're able to fall into it and really get an appreciation for this world of, of stillness that underpins everything, that informs everything. But sooner or later, <clears throat> when we make zazen our practice, our daily practice, we are bound to run into resistance. The habit energy of thought, and the mind's tendency to discount what it thinks it already knows, uh, come to the fore. And it's harder. It's harder to slip into that silent place and it's easy to sort of make an accommodation with thinking. And Zazen can become this sort of, I don't know, amalgam of a little bit of focus and then a thought comes and we follow it up for a while and then maybe we notice, uh, we at least know to come back, back to the practice, to the breath or 
<clears throat> the koan, whatever we're working on. But it's 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 a back and forth, and and um, it's it's possible for people who've sat for a very long time to still be spending too much time, more time than they would like, more time than than is helpful or effective, chasing after thoughts. And a lot of times it's because the thoughts are just sort of half-noticed, not really on the alert. You know, if this is the case with your practice, then you're like me, because uh, I definitely have had plenty of experience with thoughts taking over and, and going AWOL for some length of time. But how do we work with that? It definitely calls for some diligence, and it calls for a feel for what it is to be silent. Practice doesn't work if we're just beating ourselves over the head. Practice doesn't work if we're continually judging, well, I'm just, I'm too overloaded with thought, I'm hopeless. It's not going to work. So I've got a, a couple of texts that are uh, really basic, and I wanted this morning to, uh, to go into them because they really deal with the moment-by-moment -moment, uh, activity of Zazen, the, uh, the diligent practice that can bring us into this place where things are still and thoughts are not such a problem. It's not about eliminating them as everyone I think knows by now, but about not getting caught up in them, not following them. So the first guy I want to read from is uh, a Japanese Zen teacher. Uh, he died a while back, let me see. Yeah, I think it was like in 1998. I don't have his dates here. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, he lived from 1912 to 1998. He was the abbot of and and his name is Kosho Uchiyama. He wrote a book called Opening the Hand of Thought. I've, uh, I actually gave a whole Dharma talk on that some years ago. I'm just going to read from a small section of it. <clears throat> so just, he says, I've already said that if you sit and think during Zazen, then that is thinking and not Zazen. Does that mean that no thoughts at all should occur to us during Zazen? Is good Zazen that condition when all thoughts have ceased to come into our minds? <clears throat> Here we have to clearly distinguish chasing after thoughts and thinking from ideas or thoughts occurring. If a thought occurs during Zazen and we proceed to chase after it, then we are thinking and not doing Zazen. Yet this doesn't mean that we are only doing Zazen when thoughts have entirely ceased to occur. <clears throat> How can we understand this? 
Imagine placing a large rock next to a person doing Zazen. Since this rock is not alive, no matter how long it sits there, a thought will never occur to it. Unlike the rock, however, the person doing Zazen next to it is a living human being. Even if we sit as stationary as the rock, we cannot say that no thoughts will occur. <clears throat> On the contrary, if they did not, we would have to say that that person is no longer alive. <clears throat> Roshi is fond of saying that our brain is an organ that secretes thoughts. That's what it does. <clears throat> thoughts are produced, and they're going to come into the mind. Uchiyama says, But of course the truth of life never means to, be, to become lifeless like the rock. For that reason, thought ceasing to occur is not the ideal state of one sitting in Zazen. It is perfectly natural for thoughts to occur. Yet if we chase after thoughts, we are thinking and no longer doing Zazen. So what should our attitude be? <clears throat> he says, briefly, aiming at maintaining the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones, letting go of thoughts, is the most appropriate expression for describing what our attitude should be. <clears throat> I want to point out here that uh, the practice that Uchiyama uh, advocates is Shikantaza, which is a fairly advanced practice. And uh, But these same uh, principles apply to breath practice, to koan practice. Uh, in any case, we're in the Zazen posture, we're letting go of thoughts. Instead of saying maintaining the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones, we could say becoming the breath. Becoming the questioning. <clears throat> but in all cases, letting go of thoughts. He says, what is letting go of thoughts? Well, when we think, we think something. Thinking of something means grasping that something with thought. However, during Zazen, we open the hand of thought that is trying to grasp something and simply refrain from grasping. This is letting go of thoughts. <clears throat> One of the um, things that we learn in sitting is that we're not really doing the thinking. In other words, we don't decide what thoughts are going to be presented to the mind. They come from somewhere else. <clears throat> I guess we could say they come from our own unconscious, from our habit energy. But we don't decide to think of anything. We decide whether to follow the thought up, whether to grasp it. In Zazen, we simply refrain from grasping. This is letting go of thoughts. He says, as I explained earlier, since blood recedes from the head <clears throat> and excitability is lessened by keeping this posture, Zazen is by nature a posture in which we inherently see the futility of chasing after thoughts. So as long as we entrust everything to the Zazen posture, or as we could say, as long as we entrust everything to the practice, to the method, opening the hand of thought will come naturally and spontaneously. Again, however, human life is not a machine. 
So even in the Zazen posture, it is possible to think as much as we like. <clears throat> so the essential point when doing Zazen is to aim full of life at the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones, while at the same time leaving everything up to the posture and letting go of thoughts. Leaving everything up to the breath and letting go of thoughts. By holding to the practice and simultaneously opening the hand of thought, both body and mind do Zazen in the proper spirit. Zazen is not something we think about doing, not something we think about doing wholeheartedly. It is something that we actually practice. And skipping ahead a little bit. As I mentioned before, we are at all times, in every, in, in every situation, living out the reality of our own lives, whether we believe to be so or not. Nevertheless, we lose sight of this. We doze off or start thinking and cause this reality to become dull and foggy. It's just like driving a car when we are either sleepy or absorbed in thought. Our life, like our driving, becomes careless and hazardous. Waking up means to let go of thoughts. That is, we wake up from sleep or thought and perform the reality of Zazen, which we are practicing with our flesh and bones. And then he, uh, in the book, he uh, has a diagram. It's uh, kind of interesting, but if I read through his description, I think it might be a little <clears throat> confusing. Um, so I'm going to just summarize it briefly. Just imagine that Zazen is maintaining a line. He calls it a line from Z to Z prime. I think the Z stands for Zazen. So there's a straight line, and we're just trying to move along it. But as we do, thoughts come into the mind, and when a thought pump, pop, pops in and we recognize it <clears throat> just even a little bit, uh, we pop up above the line. And then if we grasp that thought, another one will pop up, maybe connected with it, and we pop up a little farther. And when we notice that we've done this, we just return back to the line, drop back down to Zazen. Um, and the same thing works on the other side of the line in his little diagram with drowsiness. You get drowsy a little bit, and then if you give in to that even further, then you wake up, you notice, and you come back and you're back on the mat. You're aware. You're awake. Um, it's similar to uh, a metaphor that Roshi used. I remember being really struck by this in, in one Sashin. It's, it's like we're driving along uh, a limited access highway and we're tooling along okay, focused on the practice. And then all of a sudden, without really even realizing it, we find ourselves on an exit ramp, which is not a problem. You ramp comes out and there's another ramp leading right back on. We get on it and we're back on the highway. But <clears throat> sometimes if we don't notice that we've left the highway, uh, we turn off on a side road and we wind our way through the countryside, maybe come into a little town, and the next thing we know we find ourselves 
in a trailer down by the river. <clears throat> the difference with Zazen, of course, is that we don't have to drive all the way back to the highway. The minute we recognize what's happened, we return to Zazen. We're right back. You leave the line, Uchiyama's line, you notice, drop back down. As Uchiyama says, sometimes we completely forget about waking up. We chase after a whole series of thoughts and end up completely separated from the reality of our lives. In other words, we may become separated from the reality of doing Zazen right now. Without be being aware of it, we may start associating with or carrying on a dialogue with some vivid figure that has been totally fabricated with our own, within our own chasing after thoughts. Even at a time like this, if we wake up, that is, actually perform the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones and open the hand of our thoughts, this very phantom-like thought will disappear instantly, and we will be able to return to the reality of Zazen. This is a truly remarkable point. It makes us realize that our fantasy has no reality, and that it is nothing but empty coming and going. At any rate, noticing things like this during Zazen, whether it is at the first thought, the second thought, the third thought, we should wake up to Zazen as soon as possible and return to the line. Actually doing Zazen is a continuation of this kind of returning up and down. The posture of waking up and returning to the line at any time is itself Zazen. This is one of the most vital points regarding Zazen. <clears throat> he says, I realize that to say you cannot understand this without doing Zazen sounds very pompous. But the reason I say so is because usually we are unable to recognize what we th that what we think about in our heads is nothing but empty comings and goings due to plunging our heads too far into our thoughts and living too much in the world of thought. Once we think of something we want or like, we assume that the simple fact of thinking we want or like it is the truth. Then, since we think this idea is the truth and worth seeking, we proceed to chase after it everywhere, and our whole world eventually develops into one of greed. On the other hand, once we think of something we hate or dislike, we assume again that the simple fact of thinking we hate it is the truth. Thinking that this idea is the truth we ought to follow, we chase after it until our whole world turns into anger. <clears throat> this is basic Buddhism. The activities of our everyday lives are almost entirely the result of chasing after ideas like this, causing vivid lifelike images to become fixed, and then giving more weight to these fixed delusions and desires until we finally get carried away by them. It would be even more accurate to say that ordinarily we are flung about by desire and delusion without even knowing it. It is like the man who is drinking sake, that is, consuming fantasies, 
At first, he knows that he is drunk, but when it develops to the stage where the sake, the sake is drinking the man, <clears throat> then he is adrift in fantasies without even knowing it and acts accordingly. <clears throat> the way I always heard it was, first the man takes the drink, then the drink takes the drink, and then the drink takes the man. He says, almost all people in societies throughout the world today are carried away by desire and delusion. That is, this is precisely why our Zazen comes to have such a great significance. When we wake up during Zazen, we are truly forced to experience the fact that all the things we develop in our thoughts vanish in an instant. Another thing that you learn over time in Zazen, especially in Sashin, is how quickly those obstructions can vanish. It's, it's one of our delusions that difficult thoughts seem to have substance to them. And once we become, gain some measure of success with dropping them, uh, we come to realize how empty they are, as Uchiyama said. Gradually, we gain confidence. It's something that we know experientially, not that we heard somebody say. <clears throat> and of course, that makes all the difference. I'm going to read a little bit from another guy. This is Bhante Gunaratana. Gunaratana? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, he's a mindfulness teacher and wrote a book called Mindfulness in Plain English, um, which is an excellent book. And again, really basic uh, instructions in meditation. Just going to read a little section here where he says, Meditation is not a competition. There is a definite goal, but there is no timetable. It's a really important point. Um, one way to make the distinction, one way to, to get the feel for there not being a timetable is to think of coming to awakening, say, or achieving Buddhahood or any goal you want to set out there, fulfilling the four vows, uh, not so much in terms of a goal as a direction. Saying, as long as I can, as long as I am alive, <clears throat> you could say even for lifetime after lifetime, this is the direction I want to go in. This is what the vow is. The vow is not that we will have this achievement and when will that happen. <clears throat> the, the path of Zazen is a path of opening. We're going to open and continue to open. So again, he says, there is no timetable. What you are doing is digging your way deeper and deeper through layers of illusion toward realization of the supreme truth of existence. The process itself is fascinating and fulfilling. It can be enjoyed for its own sake. There is no need to rush. 
I'm jumping ahead a paragraph. Don't think about your problems during your practice. Push them aside very gently. Take a break from all that worrying and planning. Let your meditation be a complete vacation. Trust yourself. Trust your own ability to deal with these issues later using the energy and freshness of mind that you build up during your meditation. Trust yourself this way and it will actually occur. Don't set goals for yourself that are too high to reach. Be gentle with yourself. You're trying to follow your own breathing continuously and without a break. That sounds easy enough, so you will have a tendency at the outset to push yourself to be scrupulous, scrupulously exacting. This is unrealistic. Take time in small units instead. At the beginning of an inhalation, make the resolve to follow the breath just for the period of that one inhalation. Even this is not so easy, but at least it can be done. Then, at the start of the exhalation, Resolve to follow the breath for just that one exhalation, all the way through. You will still fail repeatedly, but keep at it. Every time you stumble, start over. Take it one breath at a time. This is the level of the game where you can actually win. Stick with it. Fresh resolve with every breath cycle, tiny units of time. Observe each breath with care and precision taking it one split second on top of another with fresh resolve piled one on top of the other. In this way, continuous and unbroken awareness will eventually result. <clears throat> awareness of breathing is a present moment awareness. When you're doing it properly, you're aware only of what is occurring in the present. You don't look back and you don't look forward. You forget about the last breath, and you don't anticipate the next one. When the inhalation is just beginning, you don't look ahead to the end of that inhalation. You don't skip forward to the exhalation that is to follow. You stay right there with, with what is actually taking place. The inhalation is beginning, and that's what you pay attention to, that and nothing else. <clears throat> it's like a cat watching a bird. We put a bird feeder uh, on one of our windows, and our cats now take up their position on the back of the sofa. Their attention is absolutely complete. Sometimes they'll let a little meow out and bat the pain. Just completely absorbed. He says, this meditation is a process of retraining the mind. The state you are aiming for is one in which you are totally aware of everything that is happening in your own perceptual universe, exactly the way it happens, exactly when it is happening, total unbroken awareness in present time. This is an incredibly high goal, and not to be reached all at once. It takes practice, so we start small. We start by becoming totally aware of one small unit of time, just one single inhalation. And when you succeed, you are on your way to a whole new experience of life.
we're working with a, a lifelong habit, a habit of falling unconscious into our thoughts. It's, it's <clears throat> our lousy place of refuge, which is what a habit is. Just because it's a habit doesn't mean it brings pleasure. It's one of the many habits we pick up that aren't very pleasurable and leave us feeling crummy. And Zazen, especially Sashin, but all Zazen, shows us how bad the situation is. And it also shows us, as was pointed out, how insubstantial those thoughts are. And if we're serious about dropping thoughts, we'll notice the ones that are habitual and sticky, the ones that more readily lead us into unconsciousness. Um, it's a process that's referred to in a certain kind of therapy, an ACT therapy, ACT, um, as cognitive fusion. Exactly, actually what Uchiyama was talking about, how anger and desire come into the world through our identification with our thoughts, our believing in our thoughts. I've got a number that uh, have bedeviled me over the years. Just to give a few examples, one is the whole issue of where am I in time? How long is the round going to be? How, how, how far in have we gotten? Oh, they're using the stick. It must be we're about midway. When's it going to end? Remember when I was in, in college, <clears throat> I had a particular class that I was taking that was excruciatingly boring, and I, 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 would, I would watch the clock. It was absolute tedium. The more aware I was of how long it was taking, the longer it took. Uh, and the same thing can seep into our zazen, and we can end up just playing around with continually checking in with where things are, where we think they are. And uh, obviously, it takes us away from the practice. It's absolutely what we don't want to be doing. But when it becomes a habit, when it's a thought that we indulge again and again, it becomes more and more difficult to uh, pull ourselves out of it, to return just to the simplicity of the practice. Another thought that uh, is really difficult for people is evaluation. You know, how, I'm, how am I doing? Uh, because it seems connected with uh, being successful at Zazen, it seems normal to check in and say, well, am I doing a good job? Because if I am, I'll do more of whatever it is I'm doing. <clears throat> and if I'm not, then, well, well. It's a tendency to think that by tightening up and, and gritting our teeth, uh, we, can, we can achieve the result that we want. Get out from underneath the bad feeling that a poor evaluation gives us. It really doesn't matter.
doing well, we're doing poorly. That's, that has nothing to do with this moment, this continually changing, flowing moment. The still center. <clears throat> we can get caught up in how we imagine we appear to others. What do the monitors think of me? How do I look from the outside? For some people this can get uh, painfully, uh, obsessively painful when they're speaking with someone else. <clears throat> they're continually leaving their own head and trying to look at themselves from outside. <clears throat> like I say, this is sort of the uh, greatest hits list of my own personal uh, thought traps. Who cares what we look like from the outside? Look out of our own eyes. What are we looking at? What's being presented to us? It's so helpful to move our point of view to where we're actually looking out through our own eyes. So <clears throat> had a shift that happened to me early when I uh, stopped drinking and was going to AA. This is back in the early 90s. I was walking around a bush to go into my house. And as I walked around it, I realized that something was different. And what I realized was that Previously, every time I'd walked around that bush, my mind had jumped outside of my body and thought about what I looked like to anybody who happened to be observing as I walked into the house. I don't know why I was doing that, but I realized that I had been, and all of a sudden I wasn't. I was in my own body walking into my own house. It's like a little gift of grace. <clears throat> Another bedeviling thought that most people have run into is uh, thinking about our pain when Zazen becomes uncomfortable or when life becomes uncomfortable. Uh, there's always that tendency to retreat into thought. <clears throat> is it going to hurt more? How long is it going to last? What am I going to do? What if I can't take it? <clears throat> How can I get away from it? This is, of course, one of the least effective ways of dealing with pain. Just like watching the clock is the least effective way of dealing with boredom. <clears throat> the, uh, the solution that we sort of finally come upon after kicking and screaming and resisting is simply to go into the pain. Just double down on the practice. Bring our attention right there, right into the moment. Just as thoughts are less substantial than we think, pain itself is less substantial. It's less uniform
in the end, maybe one of the most helpful things that we can do is to enjoy our practice, to enjoy the respite that Zazen can bring from grasping and avoiding. I want to read a little something from uh, Sheng Yan. I might have read this a long time ago, but <clears throat> it's from a book called Sheng Yan is a Chan teacher who died a few years back. Actually, uh, we at the center have had some connection with him. Roshi Kaplow visited him, and, and Bowden Roshi also uh, went to the dedication of his a new monastery on Taiwan. Um, anyway, he wrote a book that's called Attaining the Way, and this is a little section that's called Acting Like a Good-for-Nothing. He says, During the interviews, that's Doksan, of course, I've learned that some people, and this all took place during a session, I've learned that some people are still very tense, still struggling with their meditation method. There are those who have, may have sat well for a few sessions, but the good feeling has not come back, and they search for it in vain. They feel pressed for time, and their mental states have become more harried, impatient, and tense. I've used many metaphors to explain that if you want to arrive quickly, you'll never get there. But many of you are still making trouble for yourselves, looking for pain to suffer. Buddhist practice is polishing your patience and forging your determination. When you demand peace of mind, your mind is not at peace. To deal with these afflictions, you need to move the firewood out from under the pot. This means not caring at all, acting as if nothing were happening, feeling that there is no harm in being a good-for-nothing. <laughs> I love this. <clears throat> This is something I did uh, when I first uh, got into AA, when I first got sober. Um, I told Chris, told my wife, that uh, I thought that maybe for the next year or so I was just going to be a schlump. It's just that process of letting go, that, that strong ego that, uh, that comes with drinking, grasping and avoidance, just letting that go and not worrying so much. Uh, she wasn't really happy to hear that, but I think in the end things worked out okay. He says, there is no harm in being a good for nothing. The very process of the meditation retreat is itself the result. All you have to do is sit for seven days. If you do it well, that is a result. And if you do it badly, that is also a result. It's all valuable experience. Don't have your heart set on doing well. Just keep your mind on the meditation method. Don't get upset about oblivion or scattered thoughts. Pain, numbness, aches, itches, let it all happen. If the sky falls, pay no attention. I remind you, please do not tense up. If you relax, at least your body can feel good and your mind can feel stable. If you feel tension and urgency, you'll end up with a belly full of anger. 
One of you sat very well for a stretch, and his mind seemed to open. He felt very comfortable and content. After that, with every sitting, he waited for his mind to open again, but it didn't. When body and mind are relaxed, comfort and ease will appear. If you are tense, hoping that your mind will open, then you will have already closed it tightly. A retreat is not a contest. There is no score and no medals. Our only concern is perfecting the ability to relax and create some spaciousness for our mind. Yeah, it's a balancing act, isn't it? We need to be diligent. We need to be serious about letting the mind settle, about not giving in to thoughts. But the minute we move past that moment-to-moment -moment awareness and start trying to game the system, try, start trying to move from this moment to the result, which is inevitably somewhere in some future moment, we've absolutely lost the thread. We're, we're gone. Can work very hard for a very long time, not realizing that we're continually pulling ourselves away from the whole point of practice, <clears throat> which is to sink into the reality, the totality, the vividness of this very moment. Can't be forced. There's a, it, it's, it's like walking down a path. And if you become too tense, you're going off to the right, let's say. I guess if you become too relaxed, you're going off to the left. Many of us are always going off to the right. It's just like a, a wheel that's out of alignment, continually falling into anxious striving and, and uh, muscular tenseness, gritting our teeth straining. <clears throat> it's not such a bad thing if every now and then you should run off on the other side, become too relaxed. It's not something to worry too much about, especially if you have that tendency to always try to <clears throat> do your best and achieve a result. It's a good antidote. It's why it's important to enjoy your practice, to enjoy that stillness. It's always there, always available, underneath the turmoil, down in the depths that well up in each moment. Taking a walk just to appreciate the trees. Our neighborhood, we have all these huge catalpa that were planted decades and decades ago. <clears throat> Old, weathered trees full of woodpecker holes and dripping debris. They're so vivid, so present, so solid, so huge. to walk, to see what's there, 
Feel the breeze. Feel our feet against the street. <clears throat> As John Kabat-Zinn says, to come to our senses. A world mediated by thought is gray and two-dimensional. And we don't feel at home. We're uprooted. We're separated from others. <clears throat> when we find some freedom from our thoughts, then we can see the face of the person we're talking to, where so much is revealed. We can hear the voice. <clears throat> to be able to do this makes us available. Then we're there. It's a gift, really, that we give to the world doing Zazen. Obviously a gift that we give to ourselves. But it's not just for ourselves. It doesn't just benefit us. It benefits everyone we come into contact with. Just going to finish up by coming back to Pascal and quoting him once again. All of humanity's problems come from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <clears throat> okay, our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <clears throat> 